0: Alright, good morning. We continue in our um, summer sermon series. The series entitled uh, Bumper Sticker Theology. Are you collecting your stickers? Everybody got them? Got your stickers? I know uh, if you miss one, you're often at my door trying to get one, so that's that's good. Has anyone got the full set so far? Yeah, that's good. Did anyone get the full set by coming to all the sermons? All right, we got a couple. All right, okay, it's, honest, it's nice that you honestly admit that. Um, let me tell you how the stickers uh, um, uh, came about. Uh, a good friend of mine at uh, Birmingham Church, where I last served, owns a company that makes stickers. And he always said to me, Jeff, if you ever need a favor, let me know. And I held on to that favor for a long time, kept it in my back pocket. And then I got the announcement that I'd be coming here, and I gave my good friend Richard a call. And I said, Richard, remember that favor you said you'd do for me? How about making me 200 stickers for eight weeks in a row? And uh, he graciously said yes. And uh, um, the buzz had gotten back to him at his place that the stickers were a hot item. He was even driving down the road one day this week, and he saw one of his stickers on the road. And he, I uh, know, oh, isn't that cool? And he said he had to get here at least one time to see it. So I just wanted to introduce you to my friend Richard Moline, who's with us this morning in worship. And so you can thank him after the service for the gift and his service uh, to our congregation getting us off to a good start. Richard, would you just wave your hand or stand up so people can... You see, Richard. Richard's a big Michigan State fan. You won't. Uh, there's a. There's a. There's a few of them in here, but you got to be careful. I think you're outnumbered, actually, in this congregation. I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure yet. But thank you, Richard, for your gift to um, our our congregation. This has been a fun and meaningful and memorable way for us to hold on to the message throughout the week, and also to put them on our cars and put them in places where people might wonder what. Exactly, is that church all about anyway? I gotta go go see what's happening. Friends, our uh, message today comes from uh, Luke, or not from Luke's gospel, comes from Matthew's gospel, the twenty-second chapter. Would you follow along with me as we read these important words from our scripture this morning? When the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, teacher. Which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we simply ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be measured and found acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. The sign read, The person in this congregation I would most like to see in hell. And it appeared on the little stone sign outside the little stone church early on the Monday morning announcing the following Sunday's sermon title. And that's right. It read, the person in this congregation I would most like to see in hell. And you guessed it. The phone started ringing. The phone chain was moved, the prayer chain was moving out through all the congregation. Did you see what was on that church sign this morning? And the whispers started to trickle throughout the congregation as everybody took a guess as to who it was that the pastor would single out. It was funny, no one picked themselves, (laughs) but everybody else had an idea about who that person would be. In fact, there was a rumor floating around the church that the men had started a little side pool. They were betting on who the person would be that the pastor would single out as the one person most deserving of eternal punishment. Well, Sunday came. And you guessed it. The place was packed. We're talking record attendance here, folks. We're saying the C and Ears showed up. You know, the Christmas and Easter folks. They came in, uh, in mass to be there. All the shut-ins, they all found a ride that Sunday. Even the Presbyterians from the church across the street, they canceled their worship that morning. And they, their pastor, their choir director, and the entire children's department was there in the front row in order to hear what the pastor would make his proclamation that morning. And so they sat. And they waited. They sat on the edge Of their seat. They held their breath. They waited for that moment when the pastor would single out that person and then the moment came. The person he most wanted to see in hell and when he said that that person's name there was an audible gasp of surprise in the congregation for the person he named was Mrs. Eddie. Mrs. Eddie the sweetest old lady in the entire congregation. Mrs. Eddie, who had taught the kindergarten Sunday school class for 30 years. Mrs. Eddie, who was always there with a smile, who was always lending a hand. One of those women who was quick with a note when you were sick and even quicker with a hug when you were better. No one loved their neighbor like Mrs. Eddie loved their neighbor. So why would the pastor single her out as the person he would most like to see in hell? Did the pastor know something about her that the rest of them did not know? Ah, but then he explained. He said he was sure that with Mrs. Eddy's sweet and saintly disposition, that it would take no time at all before the entire population of the netherworld would be singing together in one chorus, Amazing Grace, followed by Jesus Loves Me. He was convinced that only Mrs. Eddy would be able to convert old Satan himself. So, if the story's right, let me ask. Are any of us worthy of being sent to hell? Are any of our lives so transparently full of the love of Christ that even the most hardened sinner or the most ardent atheist might change their mind or the course of their life when they see how we are living ours? Are any of us hell worthy? I mean, the story asks a provocative, if not downright poignant question. Is our lives and the way we live them, is that the most profound proof for the faith we claim? You know, it was one of the ancient saints of the church, St. Francis of Assisi, who always said, preach the Gospel always. When necessary, use words. Preach the Gospel always. When necessary, use words. So is it the words of our mouth? Or the way we live our lives? That is the question for us this morning. And that was kind of the question that one of the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked Him, Jesus, tell us, tell us, Jesus, what is the greatest of all of the commandments? Well, Jesus thought about it for Just a moment. Because you see, He could have answered that question a hundred different ways because there were hundreds of different commandments to choose from. Jesus could have answered with something that had to do with right worship. The greatest commandment is about how we worship and where we worship, using the right music and using the right place and the right time and making sure everybody's in the right clothes when it comes time to worship. Jesus could have answered the question like that. Or Jesus could have answered the question saying the greatest commandment had something to do with right belief. Believing the right things. Reciting the right doctrines. Memorizing all of the right Scripture. Jesus could have answered the question like that. Jesus could have even answered the question by saying it's about right behavior. You know, not don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with the girls that do. Jesus could have answered the question like that. But Jesus turns to that Pharisee and says, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the prophets and all the law hang on those two commandments. There it is. Jesus makes it plain. The greatest of the commandments, the heart of the Christian faith, love God, love your neighbor. Everything else hangs on that. So what was it that Jesus was saying? I think He was saying at the end of the day, it's all about relationships. It's all about relationship. You see, it's not about right worship. And it's not about right belief. And it's not even about right behavior. Jesus says to us, the essence of the Christian faith is about right relationship. Right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. And that's really the heart of the Christian faith after all. It's what is supposed to make Christianity and ultimately Christians different. Because you see, we make the most radical claim in all of the religious landscape. There is no claim like the claim that we make. Because you see, Christians claim that in the person of Jesus Christ, God has become fully known. Fully known in the person of Jesus Christ. God took on human form. And why did God take on human form? In order to have relationship with us. In order to have relationship in our time and in our history. In order that we might see truth. In order that we might see His flesh. In order that we might see what love looks like and feel what grace feels like. In order to see the wounds and touch the wounds on God's hands. God came to us in order to have relationship. You see, that's the central tenet of the Christian faith. It's a person. It's a person. It's not about a way of worship. And it's not about a set of doctrines or beliefs to memorize. It's not even about a set of behaviors we have to keep Christianity at its core is about a person and that person is Jesus. And I only know one way that you can ever know a person and that is through relationship. God didn't come to us in our form in order to give us duty. Duty makes for terrible relationships. God came so that we might Know God in the fullness of who God is. God came so that we might not just hear a sermon, but so that we could see the sermon. For you see, ultimately our faith must move beyond just belief. Belief in something. Even just a belief in Jesus. It must move beyond just belief. Because believing in something tells you nothing about how you're relating to it. It's not enough just to believe in God, Jesus says. You must have a relationship with God. Imagine for a moment if I just believed in my wife's existence, I just believed Bridget existed. And I came home from work every day and I took my keys out of my pocket and threw them on the counter. I went to the fridge and grabbed a soda. I thought to myself, huh, I know she exists. She's around here somewhere. And sure enough, when she approaches me to give me a hug, I say to myself, oh, she does exist. And then I don't relate to her. I just go on about my business and I start thinking to myself, of all the things I have to do because she exists. My wife exists. I have to take the garbage out. (laughs) My wife exists. I have to pick my socks up. My wife exists. I have to put the toilet seat down. My wife exists. I must tell others that my wife exists so that they can take their garbage out and pick their socks up and and put their toilet seat down. You see, there is nothing about relationship in that. Relationship. Jesus, what was the greatest of commandments? Love God. Love your neighbor. It's always all about relationship. See, there was a moment when that became particularly true to me. It was while I was in college and I had just had a conversion experience. I had given my life back to the Lord and I was on fire. I was filled with an evangelical zeal and fervor that I set out to convert everyone and everything that I ran into. I did everything I could to convince every single person I knew to become a Christian and to give their life to Jesus. That fervor led me with a bunch of other Christians to go to Daytona Beach over spring break to engage with college students while let's say they had a few other things on their minds. One night, we decided it was time to save the bar crowd. And so we went out and hung out on the street and we looked for our targets. I found mine. He was innocently walking down the street. He had no idea what was about to hit him. And so I walked up to him and opened up with a very relational, invitational question. Hey, buddy, if you die tonight, do you know what's going to happen to you? Yeah, that was a great way to start the conversation. You know what? He let me have it. He let me have it. He didn't let me have it in the ways I was prepared to be let have it. He didn't give me the line about why there is no God. He didn't give me some line about the silliness of the Christian faith. He didn't even give me some line about how Christians are narrow-minded or judgmental. No, he chewed me out because I knew nothing about him. He said to me, you don't know me. You don't know who I am or where I come from. You have no idea what I struggle with. You have no idea what my hopes and dreams for the future are. I don't have any idea if you really care about me. And then he said, I don't even know anything about you. I have no way of knowing if any of the things that you are saying to me has made any difference in your life. I can't see any of the love of God in you that you profess that I need to have. He let me have it. Jesus What is the greatest of commandments? Love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And you see, I realized something in that moment. That the words of my mouth were actually doing, not just the words, but the manner in which I was presenting the words, were doing more harm than good. And at the end of the day, I put a stumbling block or a roadblock in his ability to get to God by the manner in which I approached him and that's changed everything about the way I share my faith that single moment you see that's why I try to figure out the names of the skateboarders and the basketball players who hang out in our parking lot and that's why I try to get the names of every waitress at Frank's and I know them well That's why I care what the name of the homeless couples are that I meet in the parks. And that's why I wonder about the names of the guys who check under the hood of my car. And that's why I try to learn the names of all of the neighbors in my neighborhood. I want to know something about their story. And I want to share with them something about my story that hopes in somewhere in the midst of that relationship, God can enter the story. You see, Jesus makes it clear that God in Jesus reminds us that the medium and the message can never be separated. It's not just what we say, but it's how we say it that makes a difference. And you can't mistake that in the person of Jesus Christ. For you see, in Jesus, feeding the hungry wasn't just a good idea. In Jesus, feeding the hungry, in Jesus, feeding the hungry was an invitation to find a loaf and a few fishes and actually feed somebody. In Jesus, the invitation to forgiveness and second chances isn't just a good idea. It was an invitation to take your stone and set it aside and find out how you can be in relationship with the One who is left standing in the middle of the circle. In Jesus, the invitation that the last shall be first and the first shall be last isn't just a good idea. But it's an invitation to hang out with those that never have an invitation to any party at all. In Jesus, love Love is never just a vague emotion. No, in Jesus, love is a cross upon which He bled and died so that we might know His love in all of its fullness. The medium can never be separated from the message. It's not enough to just hear the sermon. People have got to see it as well. I wrote this lady's name down because I can never remember it. Um, Jean Belfke-Eschstein. She's a um, professor of um, religion and ethics at the University of Chicago. She teaches divinity students and graduate students. She's an expert in family and culture. And she's stumbled upon a very interesting set of statistics that are beginning to emerge. She has discovered that if there is just one practicing Christian family in a neighborhood, with school-aged children, just one family who is practicing their faith in the neighborhood, that the families on either side of it, if they have children, the families on either side of that house, whether they are practicing anything or not, will have lower rates of truancy, deviancy, and teen pregnancy. And they also have shown that those kids in the houses next door will have higher grades and do less drugs. And the study goes on to show that it has nothing to do with pressure or proselytizing or instruction, but simply the presence of living their faith in front of others. How they live makes a simple difference in the people who live next door. It's called the spillover effect. So why preach all this this morning? Why this bumper sticker that says, I'd rather hear a sermon, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one? Because I want a spillover effect coming out of this church. I want what's happening here to spill over into this entire neighborhood and this entire community so that the people who live in this neighborhood are simply living better lives because we are here. I want Redford Aldersgate to be known as the church that loves people, that helps people, that does whatever it takes to make sure that people's lives are better. I want them to see our sermon. You see, if you come to Redford Aldersgate United Methodist Church every week, you get to hear one sermon. And that's enough, right? Amen. You get to hear one sermon, but my hope is that every Monday that the communities that you live in hear over 200 sermons because of the people who go out from this church and they don't hear it just through the words you speak, but the lives and the love That you offer. Now, I know you've heard this um, statement before. You might be the only Bible someone ever reads. You might be the only representation of God someone ever meets. You might be the only Christ someone ever gets to touch. You might be the only sermon somebody gets to hear. I know it's trite, but it's true. You know it as well as I do. So let me ask you, what are you planning to preach tomorrow?